321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, the chair and co founder of I Relaunch, and your host for today. Today, we welcome Julie Brush, founding partner of Salutus Legal Search and the voice behind the Lawyer Whisperer blog for legal professionals. It was her article on how to deal with ageism in the interview process for Law.com's The Recorder that caught our eye, as the advice is relevant for relaunchers in all fields, not just law. And today, we really want to focus on ageism. And we're also going to do a mock interview with Julie, featuring questions that relaunchers and older workers get asked in the interview process and elsewhere. Welcome, Julie, to 321 I Relaunch. Thanks, Carol, and uh, thank you for uh, having me here today. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Yes, well, we're thrilled to have you. And before we get into the mock interview piece, where I really want to spend a lot of time, and I'm excited about that, can you give us a little background on how you ended up founding Salutus Legal Search and creating the, the Lawyer Whisperer? Sure, sure. So briefly, uh, I practiced law at Brobeck, Flager & Harrison many years ago, and uh, I was not happy in the profession of practicing law. And I had a friend in the legal recruiting business who thought that I would be terrific in that profession. And uh, But the problem was I had no idea what legal recruiters did. So I learned as much as I could, talked to as many people in the profession as I could, and, and realized that it was a profession that I thought I could be really happy in, and uh, I ended up joining a large recruiting firm. And after a couple of years, I wanted to pursue a practice that was really more aligned with my vision of client service. And so in 2000, my partner, John Escher, and I started Salutus, and uh, we've been doing well ever since. So uh, that's a kind of a brief history of, of how I got to Salutus. Um, I created the Lawyer Whisperer and started writing the column about five years ago. Um, I have been counseling lawyers and executives for years, and many of whom had the same questions, same anxiety, same concerns, and uh, there just really wasn't enough time in the day to answer everybody's questions. So. Um, I also knew how fast the profession was changing and uh, the level of anxiety and, and questions seemed to increase. So I wanted to reach a larger number of people and provide the highest quality information and advice and creating the blog and the column was really the best way to do that and, uh, and it's turned out to be quite successful. Well, if your article on ageism is any indication, it is indeed a very high quality resource, and we're so glad that we know about it. It's very helpful to our relaunchers who are have careers in all different fields, not only law. A lot of this advice is, is generic in the sense that it applies to people uh, regardless of their uh career specialization or industry sector. Can you talk about uh, why you wrote that article on ageism and interviews? So I wrote the article because there's a significant constituency in the workforce today, um, and even not in the workforce yet, but re-entering the workforce that have hit an age where they're experiencing ageism and re-entry issues associated with it. Uh, I speak with scores of, of professionals who feel helpless and demoralized, and they don't really know how to deal with this issue when they're experiencing it, 
um, or even how to strategize in finding the right role when they feel like they may encounter ageism. So I wanted to write the article with some very practical advice, uh, with some scripts and, and some very practical information, and to inspire this group to stay positive and optimistic as they kind of continue on their journey. Well, excellent. So I'd like to do a mock interview where we're illustrating some of the advice that you talk about in the article and have me be the interviewer, you be the interviewee. And I want to ask you a series of questions uh, that are either veiled references to ageism or maybe not so veiled. And some of these are questions that our relaunchers get on a regular basis. And the only thing I'll say is if you end up having more than one answer for one of the questions that I ask you, then just let me know and, and we'll uh, replay the question and, and talk about the second answer. Sure. Okay. So, uh, so let's just start, pretend that uh, we're in an interview and I say, Julie, you seem really overqualified for this role and I think you might get bored in the position pretty fast. Yeah, so this is, before I go into my responses, and, and by the way, there are, there are two different ways that you can answer this question, um, but this is probably one of the most common questions that uh, folks receive in an interview process who are more senior, and it's, it's kind of this veiled excuse on, on you know, why they may screen you out without sounding like they're being ageist. <laughs> so, um, so it's a great question, Carol. Um, so the first response, and, and by the way, I'm gonna talk about in terms of whether this person is interviewing at a company, um, because there are lots of different types of employers, so you can fill in the blank. True. So, um, so one response that a person can provide is this. You know, I'm very fascinated by this company because it's on the cutting edge of innovation and and innovation never bores me. In every role, there are new things to learn and ways to maximize value for the company. And that's an evolving process, which I find challenging and engaging. This role is very interesting to me because it requires a strong corporate background. And I'm using corporate background as a, you know, you can fill in the blank and it's highly collaborative with other functions. I also like the detailed aspect of the role because I like to roll up my sleeves and stay connected with the professional issues at hand. I do possess a very impressive amount of experience and I am an expert on the corporate side. And in my opinion, the company needs an expert in order to gain confidence and credibility with the executives, the legal team, and the other vertical executives within the organization. You know, I really like this answer because you are not skirting the issue that you are indeed an experienced expert professional. You are acknowledging that and how it fits in to um, answering this question. Yeah, and I think that for, for the listeners here today, it's extremely important to understand that you should own your expertise. Don't be afraid of it. Don't downplay it. Own it and make it a competitive advantage in the process. You bring, as experienced seasoned professionals, a tremendous amount of knowledge, uh, background, different dynamics that you've encountered, 
and and to put together a very cohesive, succinct narrative on how that experience will add the most value to the organization. So, you know, if, if you take away key nuggets from this discussion, this is one of them. Own your expertise, own your level of experience, and make it a competitive advantage for you. That's excellent advice. And you had mentioned that you have two different answers for this question. So I'm going to pose the question to you again, and then maybe we can hear answer number two and, and talk about that one. All right. So, Julie, you seem really overqualified for this role, and I think you might get bored in this position pretty fast. So I understand why you might view it that way. Um, while I do possess a, quite a deep level of experience, I, I don't view myself as overqualified, but rather someone who will bring added expertise and greater depth to the team. I really love what I do. And what I've found in, in my years of experience is that people who love what they do, they don't get bored. So all of my positions have been quite rewarding. I'm also fine with the compensation range. So the value you'd receive from me will exceed anyone with less experience. Very interesting. You're now broaching this whole topic of the person being worried, oh, well, I bet this person's going to be really expensive. The interviewer being worried about that. And you're starting to deal with that topic head on. We're going to talk about compensation in just a minute. But um, I like this totally a different take on answering this question. Any comments about this particular answer versus the other one? Yeah, so, you know, in both of these answers, the interviewee is being detailed about kind of addressing the potential issues and, and also acknowledging that the interviewer, you know, or understanding why the interviewer may see it this way. So instead of kind of, quote, arguing with the interviewer, um, you're understanding why it might be perceived that way. And I think the key here are, are, is the level of detail that you're going into um, about your experience, about how you love what you do. It's not that you're just saying, no, you're wrong. You're, you're being detailed and you're explaining why. And I think that that can be incredibly effective when you're answering a question like this. Yes, and let's just talk in general about um, situations maybe that are not formal interviews, but let's say you're at a professional event and it's more of a casual conversation kind of situation. Um, one of the uh, pieces of advice that we give relaunchers who are older and who are worried about ageism is that they need to become a subject matter expert in their field all over again. And when they're in these casual um, situations where, you know, maybe they're waiting for a speaker to start speaking, they can actually reference, oh, I just read that person's article or their book, and this is what I thought, what do you think? And that gives them some credibility in the other person's eyes based on the substance of what they're saying, regardless of their age. So I'm just curious what your thoughts are about any other comment on how you interact with people in um, a more casual environment that's not the uh, formal interview where you're going in already feeling some sensitivity and insecurity around people are gonna think that I'm really old. Yeah, 
So one of the things that, um, that I talk with uh, professionals about is this concept of your professional identity. And this is not your brand. This is the, the melding of who you are as an individual, as a person, your values, your ethics, your principles, and who you are as a professional. And who you are as a professional includes your substantive experience, um, you know, what type of worker you are, what your likes are and dislikes, what, you know, how you're more effective in certain types of environments than others. It's kind of the height of self-awareness about who you are. And once you have that information, you can create or this kind of internal narrative that becomes the core of who you are in your professional identity. And everything that emanates from that is a reflection of that. Your LinkedIn profile, your resume, how you are in interviews, and also how you are in casual settings. Maybe it's a personal casual setting. Maybe it's a networking event. Maybe it's a book signing. Who knows what it is? But knowing who you are and, and doing that work up front and understanding what that narrative is enables you to go into any situation and be very comfortable having conversations about who you are and what you do. How do you want the world to perceive you as a professional? And that includes taking into consideration that you may be more seasoned. And if you're insecure about that or you have anxiety around that, doing this work up front to address that very, uh, I would say, you know, not in a, a, a super high octane or direct way, but more subtly, will, will help put your mind at ease when you're in those types of situations. And so to me, I think, you know, everyone out there listening should, should go through that exercise so that if they are in these types of situations, they can add value in any conversation. Maybe it's not just talking about subject matter expertise. Maybe it's talking about, you know, how you feel, you know, about working in certain cultures. If you've worked in big companies or small companies or worked with millennials or worked with engineers, think about what those dots are and what dots connect to any particular situation that you may find yourself in. And then you can pursue those talk threads. I really like what you're saying, especially this distinction between focusing on your professional identity and that it's not your brand. You keep hearing all of this advice, build your brand, build your brand. And I've noticed there's been a bit of a backlash on that. I know probably most notably Sheryl Sandberg has been talking now about forget about your brand. You know, you're a person uh, and people don't have brands. Things have brands or businesses have brands. And she started to make that distinction. But the way you're underscoring it about thinking about it in terms of your professional identity and sort of this holistic view of who you are um, as a professional, I think is pretty profound actually, and, and is super helpful to relaunchers who have to be going through this process while they're on career break and figuring out, you know, how am I presenting myself to the working world when I've been out of the workforce for five, eight, 10 years? So that's right. Very important concept. Yeah. And I, and I just, and I think that, you know, there's this concept in, in today's society about your authentic self. Yeah. 
And I think that's very important. And I think people are getting in touch or getting reconnected with their authentic selves. And you don't have to be in the work world today and have, you know, be in that rat race to be able to uh, understand what your professional identity is and have a great narrative and value to add in any situation. So, you know, by thinking about it and pursuing it as kind of this combination of our, 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 our authentic personal selves and professional selves, we can feel more confident about how we are presenting ourselves to the world. People get uncomfortable when they think that they are marketing themselves. That's the concept of brand because they don't feel authentic. Right. Such an important point. So I just want to remind our listeners that you are listening to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, your host. And today we're speaking with Julie Brush founding partner of Salutis Legal Search and the voice behind the Lawyer Whisperer blog for legal professionals, where we saw her excellent article on ageism. And we are in the middle of a mock interview and where I am the interviewer and Julie is the interviewee. And I am asking her questions that have to do with ageism. And in the last exchange that we just had at the end of Julie's response to this uh, question about being really overqualified, she started to broach the topic of compensation by saying, I am fine with the compensation range. So the value you'd receive from me will exceed anyone with less experience. But now I want to ask a more pointed question that our relaunchers might hear, uh, who our relauncher audience tends to be in 40s, 50s or above, and ageism is a prime concern. So the question would be, Julie, I think you're going to be way too expensive for this position. So I'm hesitating having us move forward in the interview process. Yeah, another great question. And, and just to note that um, there is a wave of uh, laws that I think will be uh, more of a trend out there. Uh, I know that this is a case in, in New York and California and I think Massachusetts, but there's a new law that says that employers are not allowed to directly ask uh, candidates uh, what their compensation is. And, and nor are they allowed to ask through their recruiters. Um, and again, you know, we've talked about this a little bit, but, um, you know, I think that the purpose of it is, is to eliminate gender pay inequality um, and, and, and also uh, persons of color. So there's, there's all sorts of reasons behind it. But uh, before I go on to my answer, uh, there is um, there, there's a way that employers are getting around this, and it's to ask you as the candidate what your compensation expectations are. So, um, so that's just kind of a side note to be prepared to answer that question. Um, you know, when you're in the interview process. So, with regard, Carol, with regard to your question. Um, I do think that this is a common concern for employers uh, that that the person that they're interviewing is going to be way too expensive. So, so a, a really good response would be this: you know, my main interest is is being paid as, as is being paid fairly as it relates to this position. Money's not a primary driver for me. 
It's really about the role, the opportunity, the culture, and the people with whom I work. It's the overall fit that's of the most importance to me. And I'm, I'm also not a person who's malcontented about money. Um, I don't constantly push for more. Um, I want to be paid fairly for the value that I bring to the organization. And I've worked in other companies and, and know how compensation works. I am aware of the compensation range for this role. I think it's a fair range for the responsibilities that come with it. And uh, for me, it's really a non-issue. Mm-hmm. And uh, what what would you do if someone says, what are your expectations for this role if they have not disclosed either in the job description or prior um, in a, a prior uh, exchange in the interview anything about salary? Do you recommend not trying to get them to say what the range is first, or do you talk about maybe what you've researched? How do you handle that? Yeah, so I get this question a lot. Um, you know, and most employees or, or I should say candidates feel very uncomfortable putting out numbers because they don't want to go first. They have, it's operating in a vacuum. So one of the narratives that I recommend is something like this. Um, you know, I'm, I have not given a tremendous amount of thought at this point to the compensation component of it, right? Right now I've been focusing on the role and the overall opportunity. Um, I, I don't know what the compensation range is for the role, um, but I can tell you that I want to be paid fairly for the value that I bring to the organization. So it would be helpful to understand what the compensation range is so I can provide you with a more thoughtful answer. That is a great answer. So I hope everyone's listening and we might have to, uh, write that down and put it in a blog form too. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. <laughs> um, all right, let me ask you a couple more questions. Uh, Julie, I'm, I'm concerned you're going to be too senior to roll up your sleeves and do certain tasks that might feel mundane or you might consider beneath you. And what do you think about that? Yeah, I think it's, it's vital to be in the trenches if you want to stay connected at a more granular level in the role and in the organization as a whole. You know, in my current role, a big part of what I do involves not only drafting and negotiating, but also handling administrative matters. So if, if something needs to get done, I do it. Um, I'm a doer. There's a, there is a management aspect to my current position, which is something, you know, I prefer to minimize more on a day-to-day -day basis. And that's why this position is so appealing to me, because it does offer me what I call a telescope role. I can get into the weeds and be more granular and roll up my sleeves, or I can operate at a higher level. Great. Well, like that answer. Um, how about this one? The pace is very fast around here, and I'm not sure that is a good fit with how you work. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Sure. And just a side note before I answer that question, um, this, this, potential, this question comes up very frequently in organizations that are emerging growth. So startups um, at all stages, um, even big technology companies uh, that have a very kind of cutting edge kind of way about their culture. 
So we see this quite a bit. Um, and this and this question comes up, you know, quite frequently. And, you know, the, the read between the lines is, you know, you seem pretty senior and we think you're going to be very slow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, so, so one response that you can you can provide, which I think is pretty effective, is this. You know, in every position I've worked, regardless of the, the size of the company, I've had to attend to matters quickly. And whether you're servicing internal clients or external clients, service is service. And in order to provide the best service, whether you're at a big company or small company, a faster moving company or slower moving company, you need to move quickly and be nimble. You also have to have a lot of energy and a strong work ethic. And these are areas in which I've always excelled. In my current role, there are, things are changing very quickly, and I'm constantly having to reprioritize. And this is great experience that I would bring to this role. Were there specific concerns that you had about my ability to work in a fast-paced culture? So that's great. And I would add that if you're a relauncher and you're on career break, you could say, in my past roles, things have changed quickly and I'm, I was constantly reprioritizing and that's just part of how the, the, the companies operated and I was completely comfortable with it. So you can reference uh, your past experiences. We say reference them as if they happened yesterday uh, and even if they were years ago and you can make the same point. The other thing that I wanna add, Carol, is that, and and I know some people might not, you know, they might wince at this suggestion, but there are a lot of relaunchers who are out there who have been the the CEOs of their households for the last several years. And that is a hard job. And I would encourage those who are in that position to think about the skill set that you've had to employ to manage your situation as effectively as possible. And don't be afraid to weave that in to a narrative or to an answer that will be relevant. Again, this is part of your professional identity. Don't run from it. Don't run from the time off and what you've done with it. Think about the skills that you've built up, the experiences that you've had, that you can bring to this next role and add value. So in all of these types of answers, I'm seeing opportunities to bring in those narratives, not to dominate the narratives, but to serve as one example. So I just wanted to add that as well. I'm really glad that you brought that up, Julie. It's actually a point that we think there has to be a lot of finesse around uh, because you don't know who you're talking to. And you could be talking to someone who is managing childcare or elder care at the same time that they've been working and they haven't taken a career break. But to your point, if you keep it very focused on skills based, um, that skills that you've developed during your time on career break, and it could be in a volunteer in an unpaid role, uh, and that's completely legit- legitimate to reference. Uh, so with that caveat, I'd say, uh, I totally agree with you. Yeah. And, you know, everybody's going to feel a little bit differently about their comfort level. So as you go through this exercise in in creating and thinking about your professional identity, 
you know, you have to take that into consideration as well. So one person may feel extremely uncomfortable bringing up, you know, what they've done during their, their career gap and others may feel differently. So, you know, make that assessment for yourself and, um, and, and either incorporate it in some way, shape or form or not. It's all good. Right. Well, this has been an incredible conversation and I think so, so valuable to our relaunchers. So Julie, as we wrap up, because we are out of time, I want to ask you the question that we ask all of our podcast guests. And that is, what is your top piece of advice for our relauncher audience, even if it's something that we've already talked about in our conversation today? So I would say the the top piece of advice would be to really uh, do the heavy legwork and and create or understand who you are as a person and professional and create this professional identity and the narrative that accompanies it. That is the foundation of any career, any job search, whether you're uh, you know, taking a, a break or whether you're currently in the workforce. A lot of professionals out there don't know who they are or they're or they're you know, they're unclear or they know a little bit, but not a lot. And so when they get into situations, either in interviews or professional settings, it shows. And the folks who do know who they are, who have gone through this process, are extremely effective in how they're presenting themselves. There's a lot that goes into managing a career, uh, reentering the workforce, Um, But the most important is to do this upfront work so that it can pave the way for you to maximize your options going forward. Excellent. Well, thank you for helping us examine some of the very touchy and difficult questions that come up around ageism. So, Julie, can you tell our listeners how they can find out more about the lawyer whisperer and understanding that People who are not lawyers can gain a lot from what is written there. You bet. So uh, the lawyer whisperer is, like you said, not just for lawyers. It's for everybody. And these are issues that transcend uh, the legal profession or, or those lawyers who are asking the question. So I encourage all of you to visit it. The website address is www.thelawyerwhisperer.com. And uh, you can just also Google the lawyer whisperer. Uh, I write articles on that pretty much every day. Um, it's a Q&A format like the Dear Abby for lawyers. And, uh, and there's a search function. So if you have any particular questions around certain topics, um, it's very likely that I've covered it. And if I haven't, just shoot me an email and I'll be happy to cover it in, in the call. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Julie, for joining us today. Thank you, Carol. I appreciate it. You've been listening to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, chair and co-founder of I Relaunch and your host. For more information about I Relaunch, go to irelaunch.com. And if you like this podcast, be sure to rate it on iTunes and your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to share this podcast with a friend on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media. Thanks for joining us.